For the past 25 years, Bordeaux Index has been relentless in our focus on changing the fine wine market for collectors and investors. Today, we are the largest seller of fine wine and spirits globally. Bordeaux Index. Join us and visit BordeauxIndex.com. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Lara Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Andy Burnham. Andy is a British politician who has served as Mayor of Greater Manchester since 2017. He also served in Gordon Brown's cabinet as Chief Secretary to the Treasury from 2007 to 2008, Culture Secretary from 2008 to 2009, and Health Secretary from 2009 to 2010. Andy, welcome to Table Talk. Thank you, Lara. It's great to join you. Andy, we're going to start where we always do, at the beginning, and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? Oh, goodness. I'm trying to uh, to think. The things that are kind of vivid in my mind, and it's my typical northerner shtick coming up straight away, I remember sort of a Friday night and the chips coming in from the chippy. You know, it was a bit of a chippy tea thing, as, as people know, and uh, you know, I always get kind of laughed at for uh, kind of doing my, uh, you know, my, my professional northerner routine. But I do remember that really vividly, the smell of the vinegar, the sort of white paper, you know, the, all of that is really, really vivid in my mind. So I probably would say that. And can you give us a sense of what mealtimes were like in your family when you were growing up? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm one of kind of three brothers, the middle of three. And I guess the first thing I would say would be competitive, really, is, is what they would have been, in that we all loved our food. And uh, my mum was always, you know, really good cook. She'd put a lot of effort into it. You had to be uh, pretty quick off the mark in our house, and uh, otherwise, you know, you would find your brothers had stolen a march on you and, uh, you know, had got the best, the best roast potatoes or something like that. They were always kind of competitive, but brilliant, though. You know, we, we, we're... A close family, still are all five of us. You know, we have always been a very, a very close knit family, and you know, I can remember very much those sort of family, family meal times. And I think it's it's why I've tried to get my kids around the table at least once a week. Well, they're old now, and a couple of them have left home, but it is so important, isn't it, just to get get everyone around the table at least at least one time a week. And what kind of things would you be eating together as as a family during your childhood? So it wasn't all chips and gravy. There were definitely um, nicer things that my mum made. So she was, as I say, she was a, quite a, a good cook. So spaghetti bolognese would stick in my mind and uh, quite a brilliant lasagna she used, to, she used to make. It was quite sort of solid, fair, but brilliant. And, and you know, she taught me actually a lot. I'm probably the best cook of my brothers, I would say. And I do cook quite a lot. I do most of the cooking at home. And a lot of that, the basics of what I know came from my, my mum. You know, before I went to university myself, I kind of went through a lot of it with her and kind of, you know, got a grip on cooking basics. So uh, I really remember that. I mean, one thing we, we would have, which was probably unique, was, well, unique to people from my part of the world. But my mum and dad both being from Liverpool. I was born in Liverpool, even though I'm the mayor of Greater Manchester, which is, you know, a tricky thing to negotiate every now and again. But we would have scouse on a Monday night. Now that was a pretty much regular thing in our in our house, and for those who don't know, scouse was the sort of leftovers from the roast dinner, and you know 
generations of scouse mothers like mine had been taught how to do this but do it to make it almost better than the roast dinner which you know I, I was a big fan of scouse on a Monday it was um, as you can picture it big solid potatoes often with lamb rather than beef carrots on yeah I mean I, I, I kind of loved Monday night scouse nights and what about school food do you have happy memories of school food Ooh, a bit more of a mixed kind of memory really so another thing sort of unique to these these parts is Manchester tart and I don't know if you're aware of that but from a, a primary school in the 1970s which is it got served up a lot from my memory basically how can I describe it kind of pastry fairly thick with what you could only describe as a slab of custard on top of it and I think some sprinklings of some kind coconut? maybe that's how I remember desiccated it. coconut on top I think yeah, I'm thinking I have a memory of that. Yeah. I think there are variations of Manchester tart, but it, yeah, I think it did have. And uh, I'd say when a, when a 1970s primary school dinner lady made it, it was particularly substantial, if I, if I, if I remember rightly. But I, being somebody with a hearty appetite, I always quite, I always quite liked it. So um, secondary school, we were allowed out at dinner times. I'm not sure schools do that these days but you know we used to wander off onto the high street in Newtonley Willows and now this again I'm, I'm playing up to this northern thing but I'm just gonna have to because this is happens to be true we used to have something called a chip bucket a chip bucket I don't know if, you, if you've ever had that on table talk podcast before no culinary delight from the northwest of England <laughs> uh, basically we went to the bakers first and you ordered a half a bloomer. So what they did was they, they gave you half a loaf and you got half a bloomer. And what you did is you got the dough and you tore all the dough out of it. So you kind of left a sort of a bucket, in effect, like a, you know, a shape. But then you went next door to the chippy and you got chips and gravy and lots of vinegar in the gravy was pretty essential. And then that went in the, the loaf. And there you were, that was your, that was your chip bucket. So <laughs> that was a yeah that was my school dinner for uh, for quite a long time or there was a bit of a trend in my school for what people called an icy dinner anyone used to say that anyone getting an icy dinner today and what that meant was sort of three or four you know like one would be a 99 then an oyster then a a wafer you know like one with two wafers in the middle there was an ice cream van was allowed onto. I can't even believe it. This actually happened, but it was allowed onto the school premises at, <laughs> at dinner time, which is a mad thing, isn't it? But it, it was, and we used to have an icy dinner some days. Never ever admitted to it ever <laughs> when I got home. And when you left school, you went to read English at Fitzwilliam College, Cambridge. I did. Were you a proficient chef by that point? Had you learnt scouse at your mother's knee? What what kind of cook were you at that point in your life? Now, my mum's advice when I went to university, and this is kind of her big thing, really. Her, her, my, my dad's advice when I went to university was stick to beer, <laughs> which, as it turns out in life, is pretty good advice. I would recommend it to all of the, the youth listening to the Table Talk podcast. Stick to beer. Good life sort of lesson. My mum's was kind of never skimp on food. Even if you're struggling to pay for other things, always go and get good meat and good vegetables and always make yourself something good you know at least once every couple of days or that was that was her big thing and I remember being in Fitzwilliam College where I was making 
kind of very much taking my mum's words to heart, you know, a proper fillet steak or something and, uh, you know, doing all the trimmings and everything. And a friend of mine who was at university with me, John Story, I remember him walking past one day saying, you'd never starve, Andy, would you? And I, I kind of I said, so, well, no, no, you need to invest in your food, you know, it's, it's important. So, um, yeah, my mum really drilled that in and, and actually I did follow her advice and did implement all of her uh, culinary uh, skills when I was fending for myself at university. And Andy, I think I'm right in saying your wife who you met at university is Dutch. Is there a Dutch influence in your cooking or how you eat now? Is there a Dutch influence? A little, I think. She introduced me at that age to sort of food I'd never even begun to kind of imagine. I always liked like curries, but she introduced me to something called rice taffel. Is that something that you've heard about before? Yeah. Rice taffel is a Dutch Indonesian kind of speciality, and it's an amazing meal, actually. It's obviously it's back to the, you know, the Dutch colonial days, but that's where it came from. And I think it's still quite a very big thing in Holland, you know, little pots of of curry, but also, you know, certain type of rice. I'm trying to remember the name of the peanuts that you get, you know, when they're kind of quite broken down, it was always on the top of the food, caramelised onions, that kind of stuff. So, right, if you go to Holland, actually, you know, you can, rice taffel is is quite common in, in some of the Indonesian restaurants there. And her mum, who's sadly not with us anymore, but did try and teach me to, how to make it at one time. So there is still a bit of knowledge of that in, in my cooking. I mean, largely Dutch food is as if you like stodgy as English, really, on the whole, you know, a lot of, there's a thing they have at New Year called olibala. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. They're like what, deep fried dough, isn't it? Basically, you know, with raisins in it and icing sugar on. Or um, poffertjes, poffertjes. They're like little pancakes, you know, tiny little... Uh... You get the special pan for them with all the little divots. Yeah, yeah. that's it, that's it. I've never used it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was an expert at it. I tried. But poffages are quite a big thing when the kids were young because they're just like, yeah, I say little pancakes. So they used to love those. So a little bit of uh, Dutch influence has crept in. And you've obviously had uh, a long political career. You're no stranger to elections or campaigns. Does your eating change when you're on the campaign trail? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, it's kind of something that is hard to do when you're in the full bearing the full brunt of, a, of any political campaign. You always actually, I, I reckon, the best part of a stone you lose in most most election campaigns. So uh, I bet Liz and Rishi are pretty trim at the moment because they'll have been absolutely <laughs> putting the steps in and the, you know, the work and not necessarily eating with it. So, yeah, it's always a, April going into May is always like the time of the year where I probably uh, look my sharpest. Uh, <laughs> but then it quickly really wears off again. But they're not conducive to good eating election campaigns. It's it's absolutely certain and maybe explains some of the uh, the random things that we politicians come out with at the uh, <laughs> at the election period, you know, a bit 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 too hungry and a bit sort of a, a bit delirious <laughs> maybe and uh, maybe that's a political insight there that that might explain why you get so frustrated with us. And and during sort of day-to-day life in Westminster, how does that compare? I mean, what, what were the kind of meals like when you were working in the Cabinet? Well, I one of the things I do miss about Westminster is the members' tea room and some of the lovely people who, who, who work there. And there was you know, just a great team. And for me, the tea room was not so much you know, the exotic food that there is available in parts of the Westminster estate. It was more the real 
kind of basics, when there's a late vote, you know, poached eggs on toast, that kind of thing. They used to do some the basics brilliantly, really. And it's, yeah, something that I miss. I, I think the focus is always on, on all of this, isn't it, in terms of, you know, MPs looking after themselves and all the rest of it. But I think sometimes MPs do need a little bit of, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to defend the prices necessarily, but, you know, it can be quite hard, really, when you're there from, you know, nearly every MP I knew started work around 9 or 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock latest. But often you're there until 10 o'clock or gone 10 o'clock. You know, it's it's important, really, that you can access good food in the parliamentary estate. So, yeah, I think people should recognise that MPs need to eat as well sometimes. <laughs> In Manchester, you've had beers and burgers named after you. Have you have you tried the Andy Burnham line across the city? Yeah, unbelievable. I, if you'd have said that to me a few years ago, I don't think I would have, ever would have quite believed uh, that I'd have a craft lager named after me. But I'm particularly proud of that. Actually, it's a yeah great thing. There was a, a King of the North can that was, came out. I think it was um, Seven Brothers, the brewery, and I've got a few of those knocking around at, at home. So, yeah, very, it was a very powerful, uh, punchy sort as, of brew. As it so I'm not be. sure I, I completely live up to the brew, actually. I think you know, people like drink the beer and think, oh, this, this bloke might be, uh, and then they get disappointed then when they look at me. But, you know, it looks good in the can and it tastes good. Andy, you've, you've campaigned a lot on food insecurity in Greater Manchester. Can you tell us a bit about mm-hmm. the problems of food poverty in Manchester and I guess particularly now against the backdrop of cost of living, sort of how you see it and, and what you think the challenges are going to be over the next year? Mm. I'm really worried about it, Lara, because I think already, before we've even hit the worst of the autumn and the winter, people have made fairly massive changes to their eating habits. So I was in a homeless shelter, just to give you an example, um, just over a week ago. And the talk there was that people have turned their freezers off. They're not using their cookers because of the, the energy. They're living from the microwave already. And that they, they had started to develop sort of little microwavable meals for people. And that, I pick that story up quite a lot as I go around. So it's not just the cost of food. It's the cost of the energy needed to, to produce the food. And... Already, people are sort of really working this out in detail, you know, obviously because of the challenging sort of reality we've got. They were saying that a roast dinner, if you were to cook a roast dinner, I mean, it's an interesting question. What I'll ask you both. What do you think the cost of the energy is to cook, a, say, a typical roast dinner? For a family of four? Yeah. Five pounds? Yeah. You're, you're oh. spot on. I think well, they said four to five pounds is what they said obviously depending on how you, how you cook it and all the rest of it. And they were saying that that rules it out for mm-hmm. a lot of people straight away. So, I, I mean, obviously there are cheaper ways of doing it, I guess, if you, you could find a different way. Of, but it's that is a lot of money. And what they were saying was the microwave costs, you know, you're talking 10 or 20p to yeah. heat something up. But actually the least expensive item in the kitchen is what? It's like I'm... Turning the tables here, Lara, what do you reckon? What's I the... thought it was the microwave, but is there something cheaper? This is Boris Johnson territory now, isn't it? Like kettles and all, 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 all. Slow, cook. slow cooker, apparently. Oh, the slow cooker, yeah. Apparently, even though they're on a lot, you know, they're on for a long time, the energy they use is really, really minimal. It's about the same as an energy-saving light bulb to have it on, to have a slow cooker on. Mm. It's remarkable how low it is, but it requires a certain level of 
cooking knowledge and raw ingredients. I mean, that's that's the problem yeah. with it, that we're, we're sort of relying yeah. on people having knowledge that we've never instilled in them. Yeah. And that, to answer the question, is part of what we're thinking about. You know, how do we help people with all of all of this stuff? So food security, we, we have a food security action network here based on our homelessness action network, which is a very big partnership, citywide partnership of, you know, all the sectors, public, private, faith, voluntary community. You know, it's, we do this kind of stuff quite well. And we have Reverend Ian Rutherford, one of our Methodist ministers here in the city, who's leading that for us. And it's doing lots of great work. One thing being the No Child Goes Hungry campaign, which building on the work of Marcus Rashford, the great Marcus Rashford, we're giving out food cards in partnership with the co-op that are preloaded with money to get to, to kids in the school holidays. They're doing a whole range of other things as well. But alongside that, it's in the news today, actually. There's a, Gordon Brown has done an initiative in Scotland where surplus white goods and other products are being distributed alongside some of the food banks. And we're looking at that as well to see if we can you know, get those microwaves out to people who might not have one or slow cookers. And it probably is true, Olivia, that we'll probably need to put in some education as well around you know, some work with our food clubs around, around that as well. I was now going to move on to something more frivolous, but there's a real, there's a real moment of not really knowing what to do about that kind of thing when you're seeing people actually going hungry in 2022 and yeah. you as a mayor are having to look at finding slow cookers and secondhand microwaves for people that's really quite frightening it is it is it's it is on a scale now that i don't think we've ever we've ever seen before and obviously we've, we've had a new prime minister just announced to the extent that they reach out liz reaches out or any of her team or any of her, her new cabinet what I'll be saying is I do think we need to approach the autumn in the same way that we approach the early stages of the pandemic. I do think it's that serious. And I think we need to get ourselves into that, that mode. Because if you think about it this way, already people's mental health is at a low ebb because of the pandemic. And you know, that situation hasn't sort of recovered, if you like. And I think it's particularly the case where we are, where you and I are, Greater Manchester, where you know it did take a bigger toll here than than elsewhere. I noticed that very much with regard to young people. So now, if you go from that and you think about people at home with everything switched off, with you know it being quite cold in the house, and then not fully eating properly, what's that going to do to people's mental health through the through the winter? You know, it's a really serious situation, I, I think, and I do think we need to approach it like that in terms of, you know, more cross-party, perhaps thinking of interventions that ordinarily we wouldn't make. I do think it's very serious, actually. And I do think it's not an exaggeration to say that lives are definitely at risk as we go through this this period. And, um, you know, just bringing people the basic cheer of good food and light and warmth is is going to be really, really important. Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? When you talk about good cheer, I mean, food is is inherently more than sustenance or, or sort of nutritional value. Tell us about comfort food for you. Tell us how food is important in your home. Oh, I am very, very much sort of a lover of the basics, really, just basic things done well. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to sort of comfort food, it would be good beans on toast. You know, that is a bit of a, a go-to when I come home. Cheesy beans on toast, if I'm feeling extravagant, probably. But, um, you know, that, I just think, just always hits the spot, always. Or poached eggs on toast. 
So, yeah, I mean, not so much comfort food, I guess. It's more, you know, just something that you'll know, you'll just have it and then you'll just feel it will, you know, it will go down well and it will completely hit the spot, as I say. So, yeah, I'm a very, very basic eater during the week. And at the weekends, I do try and do something a bit more. I made a, a chicken tikka masala last night, which was pretty good, I've got to say. It's dead cheap as well, dead, you know, really simple, but but really good. So that that's a family favourite. But I mean, during the week I do, I mean, I try to um, keep it simple. And after a hard day in politics, beans on toast, poached eggs, bacon and egg, those are the things that I kind of, and they're quick. And that's often what I, I need when I get home. And Andy, in 2015, when you were running to be the leader of the Labour Party, you asked in a mum's net hustings, whether you have a favourite biscuit and you said you don't have a sweet tooth. Is that still the case or have you have you come around to a biscuit? <laughs> oh, that's what I was saying at the start about, you know, the, and I'm sure I'll get some of it after this podcast, you know, the sort of professional northerner thing. Um, <laughs> but it was like one of those moments in the leadership campaign where you walk in the office and people used to fire, oh, we got a survey from mum's like, can you quickly answer it? What's this? Biscuit, I don't really eat biscuits. Oh, what, what do you love then? No, chips and gravy. And, you know, then it appeared in there, I think, favourite biscuit, chips and gravy. It was like, oh, God. It still comes up now, honestly. It will come up once a week on Twitter. Somebody will, will mention it. So it is a dangerous one. But, uh, no, I, I, I honestly could take or leave biscuits. No, I, I, in fact, I generally leave them. Don't really uh, kind of crave them. or and I don't, don't have a sweet tooth. The only thing that really tests me would be Haribo or something like that. You know, I could go through a whole bag of those like in literally 10 minutes, you know, is that <laughs> once I go on something like that, I can't really, you know, I have to keep those away. But no, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have much of a sweet tooth. I have a very strong savoury tooth. And just to finish, tell us what your desert island meal, your ultimate meal would be. It would be... The perfect roast dinner, I think, is what is what it would be. I mean, I do, I actually love, you know, I love food pretty much every European country, you know, and as I say, love Asian food. But everywhere, really, I, there's, there's not really a, I, I'm not a fussy eater. I'm, you know, quite kind of broad eater. That was my mum's influence. But it's that perfect roast dinner, isn't it, is the thing that I would just always come back to, you know, with sort of, I don't know, beef always, but properly done rare beef yeah that would be that would be the thing and if if i didn't i would really crave that if i if i was denied (laughs) denied that i just don't think you can actually beat that you can't beat roast potatoes done properly as well you know that that stuff is massively important cauliflower cheese for me has always got to be in that in that mix as well parsnips yeah you've got to have the full the full thing to be honest, I, yeah, I've got to finish on this note, haven't I? Or I would be letting down my uh, my stereotype. The gravy. It's all about <laughs> the gravy. <laughs> it's a good motto for the tabletop podcast, That's a good I think. Motto. <laughs> I think we might we'll adopt that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the burn of advice. <laughs> Andy, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. <laughs>